There we go. Can you see me now? Oh, yeah. Much better light. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. So here we are coming to you once again from the Eagle's Nest in Oradia, Romania. And uh, on today's episode of the Wellness for Vets podcast, we have one of my personal uh, mentors, I guess you could say, Andre Bozier, former Marine. Bo has had a, uh, a, well, like some of the other guests, a very dynamic career that I'm going to let him talk about. I might have to sum it up at the end, but um, he's done a lot of really cool stuff that he's going to go over a little bit. But Bo and I, uh, we served in the Marines together in 2003, kind of different units. Fate brought us together. And then when uh, we did the initial invasion in Iraq, we ended up serving together. And Bo, so this is a story I've been waiting to tell you for a long time now. And I alluded oh, to wow. it earlier this year, but I will never forget this. So, um, you know, the, the way that we were set up, you had the force recon platoon, and then you had a bunch of infantry guys. that was external security, um, for force recon and in a crisis site, you know, if you will. And, um, so we always looked at the recon guys, like those are the guys that we want to be, and we don't want to go out and show our ass in front of those guys. Well, it just so happens that a whole lot of us, uh, yourself included, I believe, got our baptism under fire once we crossed the border from Kuwait to Iraq. And we ended up hitting a couple targets. Our intel guys found us some targets. And there was uh, one, we didn't have a lot of information on it. And they said, uh, hey, all we know is there's a lot of weapons in there. And it was a, it was a bath party headquarters. So this was the one. All right. So then uh, they said, OK, we're going to make somebody made the call that this was going to be a, a spectacular raid. So we went World War Two style before M1 Abram tanks online. Um, I think the trailer platoon, my platoon and then the recon platoon, the force recon platoon, your platoon and then the headquarters element behind us. So we are all creeping up behind the tanks. They went from left to right. Each tank fired two main gun rounds followed by a barrage of 50 caliber machine gun fire. And once the machine gun fire kicked off us guys, my platoon was supposed to go take up our strong points on the corners to allow you guys to safely make entry into the building. So that all went down fine. We got a bunch of stuff out of that building and ended up hitting the target next door. That night we spent the night in a, in a police station. We took down a police station and stayed there. I remember. And you and me were cleaning weapons or eating chow or something. We just happened to be sitting next to each other. And you looked at me and you said, and, and I will never forget this as long as I live. You said, hey, man, I got to tell you, I said, I was a little bit nervous going up to that target because I had no idea what we were walking into. But once I seen you guys take off to your positions, I knew everything was going to be OK. And I remember that for the next I don't know. However many years I was in the Marine Corps, I'm not going to try to do the math right now. It's not a strong subject of mine. But um, and, and I always relayed that lesson to my troops. And uh, that was probably the one of the top four highlights of my entire career was, was having you specifically tell me a young infantry sergeant, you know, I felt safe because you guys were out there. Uh, that's right, man. That's the story that I've been waiting to remind you of. <laughs> I really appreciated that. Um, I love it, man. I love it. So true, though. So true. So, Bo, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it over to you now. If you would just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you how you ended up in the Marine Corps, uh, some of the units and deployments and experiences that you want to share, and then maybe um, the transition to civilian life. 
Well, uh, start off with uh, born and raised Houston, Texas. Um, you know, loved high school, loved where I lived. I wasn't running away from anything, uh, but I did feel like I needed, I felt like I was missing uh, a challenge. You know, before I started my adult life, I just felt like high school did not provide that push for me. So as I looked around and tried to figure out what I was going to do, I was in uh, play sports and I was also in uh, ROTC which is Reserve Officer Training Corps in high school. And it was the Army Army branch of it. So I knew everything about Special Forces Rangers and all that good stuff. You know, some of my instructors were, were products of those units and would tell us frequently about all the great things and challenges. So, I, you know, I was I embellished that. I loved it. So when I got out, I, I sought out to go, go join the military. And I was going to do it for four years and then uh, get out, go to school, and then start my other career from there. So um, I went to the Army recruiting recruiting station, and uh, and and frankly, um, I did not like uh, the representation. You know, my my mentors, the men that were talking to me about special forces, was in special forces. They were in Rangers. They were in Vietnam time frame. These guys were the real deal. You, you read books, and you read books, and it's like these guys are in these books. And you see, and I got a chance to be around these guys every day and watch their mannerisms, you know, whether they were instructing classes or where they were inviting me over to their house to show me how to turn a wrench uh, and change brake pads, whatever it was, right? True mentors back in the day. And when I went to the Army recruiting station, I just didn't see anybody that, that resembled them. And, and I saw drastically the opposite. Um, I love the Army. I love what they do. And I've worked with a lot of Army units. But at that point in time in my life, that was very impressionable. I mean, that was a huge, impactful thing I saw and felt, and it and it and I walked out. Uh, as I walked out of the army uh, recruiting office, I went down the hallway, and I did not want to join the navy. I saw the air force. I said, okay, maybe I can get a technical skill out of this. Went to the air force. Uh, you know, he was busy, and I was impatient, so I waited for like two minutes, and I left. <laughs> and then that was the Marine Corps. That was my last choice. My last choice, man, because I knew that. You know, my good old mom was not going to sign off on me joining the most elite fighting force in America. It just scares every parent, every mother. And the movie Full Metal, Full Metal Jacket, I think it had just come out. And so that was lingering around. And everybody was like, is that what you really want to do? So story short, um, I went to the Marine Corps recruiting office, uh, you know, got that feeling of being challenged from the recruiter right away. Uh, the way he shook my hand, the way he talked to me, I felt challenged. I felt like he was telling me I wasn't good enough to be in that office with him, to breathe the same air that he was breathing. And that's what I needed. And uh, and that's where I went. So that's how I joined Marine Corps. That's why I joined Marine Corps. Cool. Yeah, I think it's funny you say about your mom, because I think my mom cried for six months after I went in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, it's 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 tough on, on parents. And, you know, when, you know, it's hard to realize it. I mean, I, I knew that I understood it. But man, my devotion to what I wanted to do was so strong. And later on, later on, about, you know, six years later, you know, I, I was home on leave. And, and she said, you know what, I always knew you're going to be successful. And she said, I knew the time I knew when and I, and I and I know the exact time and place we were when I felt like I knew you were going to be successful. I said, when was that? She said, Cause I wasn't old enough to sign the papers when I, you know, my junior year in high school and, uh, and I needed her to sign the papers for me to do the delay entry program. 
And right. she's like, she's like, I'm not going to sign him because I was, I mean, I was 17, and uh, she's like, I'm not going to sign him. And I was like, well, if you don't sign him now, then I'll sign him next year when I'm 18 on my own. And the way I said it to her, me and my mother, first of all, had a great relationship. You know, we had, we've, we've, you know, my mom, my mom passed away almost six years ago now. But when she was alive, we had a great relationship. I mean, best mom in the world. And so, so I've never spoken to my mom with that much firmness. And, you know, like, well, if you don't sign it now, I'll sign it on my own next year. And when I said that, like <laughs> that, with that, with that punctuation, she said, I knew that's what you wanted to do and I knew you were going to be good at it. And so, which was refreshing to hear, you know, even it was six years later, but it was still kind of cool to hear that because it gives you an insight of what your parents go through when you make a decision like that. And, and something that I, I guess, you know, if I had to pass information to uh, a man or a woman who, who has, uh, who wants to join the military and worry about what their parent is going to say and how the parent feels about it. Just, just, just go to your parent with all this confidence that you have that you believe in yourself. And this is really, really something that you really want to do. And, and I guarantee your parents are going to feel it and they're going to understand it and they're going to back off. And like you, like you just said, Seamus, your, your mom cried <laughs> you know, for six months. My mom, I'm sure she cried for, you know, six months and more, especially when she couldn't, especially when I got in the recon and she didn't know where I was and I couldn't tell her. So, but yeah, but that's how I got in the Marine Corps, man. And then, um, you know, I signed up to be a, a radio operator. And from there, um, I went to, you know, went to boot camp, went to MCT, Marine Combat Training. And then I went to 29 Palms and um, was communicator. Uh, I was motivated. I loved the Marine Corps. You know, I graduated as a squad leader in boot camp. I've been the guide a couple of times, which, but then, you know, yeah, I got fired a couple of times. <laughs> but always ended up back at a squad leader position. I uh, went to MCT, was a squad leader there. Went to comm school, was a, was a leader there. So this whole leadership thing was always something I always followed as well. Um, and I basically came from my, my, some advice I got from a, from a retired, you know, master sergeant in army special forces by the name of Master Sergeant Harold Laranin, who's also, uh, has, has passed away, but the guy was a legend in his own time. He was a martial arts instructor. He was my mentor. He was my dad sometimes. Um, and he told me, he told me something before I joined the military. He goes, he goes, always volunteer. He goes, he goes, you won't know what you're volunteering for, but you always volunteer. It says a lot about who you are. It says a lot about your commitment to the job. Volunteer. It might, it could be to take out the trash. You don't know, but trust me, he goes, everybody in the military that asks for volunteers, they're asking for committed people. So show them that you're committed. And I volunteered every chance I got. I volunteered in boot camp, and that's how I became a squad leader. I volunteered in MCT. That's how I became a squad leader. Uh, I volunteered, joined Force Recon, joined Recon. That's how I ended up having the career I had. That's a volunteer unit. So it's funny you say that. I had a, I knew a guy who was a Korean um, vet, a Marine, and uh, Mm -hmm. he told me the exact opposite. He said, Don't ever volunteer for anything. But (laughs) me being who I am, I I volunteered for everything and uh, it worked out for me pretty good. Yeah, yeah, man. It does, you know. So, no, but yeah, but then, and then obviously I finished uh, comm school, got orders to 2nd Marine Division. Traveled to to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. I was sitting there in JROTC, which is the receiving barracks. And I was there for three days, man. You know, it's like, uh, you know, you go to JRC, you know, your orders don't say what unit you're going to. Your orders only say you're going to that division. Sure. And then once you get there, 
the the division kind of sorts it out where you're going to go, where you're needed. And so I'm sitting there at JRC with, with some guys that I went to comm school with, some guys I didn't know. And we're all sitting there and we're just waiting to get picked. And the first day, like 15 dudes leave. Like, cool. All right. They know where they're going. You know, it's almost like a draft, dude. You know, like first day is like the first round draft pick. You know, like you get all the all the dudes go the first round. You're like, I didn't know how it, how it worked. I'm just using my imagination. And then the second day comes and I'm like, oh, I wonder where I'm going. And I don't go anywhere. Ten more guys leave that day, you know, get their, get their seat bags and they roll out. The third day comes around, me and one of my, me and a couple of my mates are still there from comm school and these guys from recon show up. Their sleeves are down. Uh, and they're they're kind of scraggly looking. Not, not they're not scraggly like you know unprofessional, but you know we just got in a boot camp not too long ago, so everybody's high and tight and shaven. These guys got a little bit longer hair. They look a little dirty, and their sleeves are down, and they're not wearing any. Well, they're wearing rank. I can't remember if they're wearing rank or not. And they came in and said, "We're looking for some volunteer. We're looking for some communicators to volunteer." And, and I asked, "Was like volunteer for what's you like?" Well, they they talked about the unit, and I and I asked. What does recon do? Because I didn't know anything about recon. Only thing I knew about was special forces, rangers. That's it on the army side. Right. I knew I knew about the Navy SEALs. Like again, I didn't want to join the Navy. So I was like, "What's recon?" And they start breaking it down for me. You know, we work behind enemy lines. Uh, we jump from out of airplanes. We swim the oceans all over. You know, we you know all this stuff. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, I want to do that. <laughs> and so I raised my hand and I volunteered. And, you know, of course, first thing they say, can you swim? <laughs> I was like, hell yeah, I can swim. <laughs> and so, um, so from there, man, that's, that's how I got into recon. I volunteered. They, they, they grabbed my medical, my, look at my medical record, look at my, my service record, make sure I didn't have any, any issues or any, any um, judicial problems or disciplinary problems and put myself in the back of a truck and told me to run behind the truck. <laughs> me and the other six guys that volunteered <laughs> and we ran behind that truck man for a long time until we got to Oslo beach and uh true story i mean that is uh, a long run yeah that's a long run man and um and they got us they put us in the in the in the in the truck you know i would say halfway through it i think it's like a 10 mile run cuz i've done it i've done that run over and over again you know as i was in that unit uh, but yeah, they, we probably ran us like five, maybe three to five miles. And then they put us in the back of the truck and said, all right. All right. You know, and now and this is back with pickup truck. This is not a vehicle. This is not a Humvee. <laughs> <laughs> this is a pickup truck. So things were a little different. This was 1992-ish. So things were a little bit different. And I, and I, and I got to Onslow Beach. And, um, and you get to Onslow Beach, you know, it's a beach. And it, it's, it's kind of eerie. It was kind of eerie that time of year. Great clouds. And you see the ocean pounding. And not a lot of buildings, just, just a couple small buildings there where Recon was housed. And, and every door that you, before you walked, every door had yellow handprints on the floor. You know, every Marine is familiar with the yellow footprints yeah. that you see at boot camp. But this place had yellow handprints. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we had to go to medical, get our medical records checked out. And before you walk in, there's yellow handprints at the door. And then that's, that was my first introduction to 25 and 5, which you know, I don't know if you've heard of it, but Marine Corps tradition is we do 25 and 5. So that's 25, 25 push-ups. And then the last five, uh, you say, you know, if you're, if you're not recon, you say wannabe, 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 wannabe. Want to be recon five times, 
five times, right? And then once you become recon, then you can you you change those with you know recon ranger, airborne scuba, you know recon whatever. You know you can there's there's different variances of things you can put in there, but you do the five. The last five is 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 significant, right? So that was my introduction to twenty five five, and that's how the rest of the day went because I had to go to medical, had to go to supply, had to go to head shit. So I did a lot of push ups that day. Needs to say. <laughs> I think it was designed that way on purpose. Oh yeah, man, definitely. <laughs> and it was good. It was a good system because it it really, it really, uh, it really. There's no time for you to convert to being soft. The Marine Corps is is the toughest military in the nation, hands down. Train hard, PT the hardest. We're all about combat effectiveness and war fighting. But with the, from the time you get out of boot camp or infantry training to your unit, there is a gap there that can suck some of that fierceness right out of you. And I would tell you, recon battalion, second recon battalion, when I was there, <laughs> did a really good job of whatever was sucked out of you, they put it right back, right away. So you go from, you know, just getting off a plane, being home on leave, now you're here, second recon battalion, and you're literally, every, every muscle in your body is hurting every single day until your body gets acclimated to that physical yeah. stress and mental stress. So that's how I got into recon, my man. So, but we were talking um, before we, you know, I guess you would call it pre-production. Uh, we, we were catch, shooting the breeze and catching up a little bit. Um, you, you were kind of telling me a story. So in 2003, we roll into Iraq. You know, we were on the Marine Expeditionary Unit. It wasn't we weren't sure if we were going to go in or not, but it just so happened that our colonel was the same guy who took the first wave of Marines in Afghanistan. So I think we kind of had that going for us. Uh, he's now yeah. General Waldhauser was probably one of the best officers I ever served under. Um, so, you know, finally we got the green light. Okay, you guys are going to go in. So we go in Iraq, we do our thing, which, you know, in, in looking back, was a really unique period in history because we went in there conventional, you know, more or less. We went against the, another nation's army that completely fell mm -hmm. apart and then right about the time that we were leaving is kind of when all this insurgency stuff started happening right it set the you know changed the pace of history for the next 15 years or so and it's still going yeah. on now yeah yeah but now you're right way home we we had a layover in australia and you got some interesting news oh yeah so um so obviously fast forward, you know, uh, from, you know, being a second recommendation to third debt force to fifth force to first force where you and I met. Um, I was at first force recon, recon company and we were gearing up, training up to go to Iraq uh, after the 2000 September 11 thing happened. Um, you know, uh, now we're geared up and you and I, you know, we, we, we did some significant training together uh, 2002. Uh, you know, with your platoon, uh, you guys as our security and trail platoon, kind of much how the Rangers are to uh, Special Forces, DA Force. Uh, you guys were our Rangers, man, you know. Uh, so, but you're right. So we got to Iraq and we knew what we were going to do. We did all that stuff. And, um, uh, you know, we fought the good fight. We didn't have to worry about it. We weren't worried about insurgency. We weren't, we weren't even worried about uh, IEDs at the time. Yeah, you know there was there was no vehicles blowing up. I mean, you saw the vehicles we we had. We had those those light skinned Mercedes Mercedes tricked out vehicles, right? Yeah, and we're just rolling around like it's all 
all good. I would not do that now, obviously, but, uh, but, but you're right. And then, you know, um, you know, we were General uh, Warhouse or Colonel Warhouse at the time, and he put us in play. And, uh, and as we were there, we, we, you know, that insurgency wasn't there. It was just straight up, you know, pretty much conventional, uh, conventional movements, you know, mobile units, you know, we, we hit targets, you and I together. And then you're right. Then after we left, went to Australia. Um, uh, well, actually, let me back up. Before before I went to Iraq in 2003, OF1, I heard I heard about this new unit that they were talking about building up. This new special ops unit that in the, within the Marine Corps that was that was going to be like super specialized. You're right, specialized even better than Force Recon. And I heard rumors about it. No one had any information on what this unit was or what it was going to be called or how you even get into it. And I remember two weeks before I was deploying, I kept hearing hear more about it. And a good friend of mine named, guy by the name of, you know, at the time his name was, he was a gunny, gunny John Daly. Call him Ranger D. Ranger. You remember, you remember Ranger? Yeah. I, that guy. Was, I used to work for him before I came out here. <laughs> that's right. And, and I think Ranger was uh, our SOTG. He was the SOTG mm-hmm. instructor during the time during the shooting package, correct? Yes. So you know Ranger. So Ranger was privy to what was going on. And he was talking, he came up to me one day and he was talking to me. He said, he said, Bo, have you heard about this new unit that they're going to start up? I go, I go, man, I'm, I keep hearing things, but I don't know anything about it. I go, if, I said, do you know anything? Do you know how to, how to, how to sign up for it? Cause I mean, let me know, bro. Cause I'll sign up. I want to sign up. Was there, is there an end doc? What is there? Is there a selection? I mean, I'm going to go on deployment, but I definitely like to know like what's going on. He goes, I don't know anything about it. I go, well, if you find something out, let me know. So that was that conversation. And then a week later, uh, you remember my comm chief, uh, Ty Barnes, yep. my son Barnes, right? I mean, uh, Gunny Barnes. So Barnes was like, Bo, I heard that there's a list and your name's on it. I was like, what? So I'm, I keep hearing all this stuff, man. There's nothing confirmed. I'm going to go on deployment, dude. I'm like, <laughs> okay, what's going on? So I just go to the man himself. I found out who's going to lead this unit, and it's Colonel Coates, Robert Coates, who used to be our CO. He was our CO at First Force. And he was working at SOTG as the, as the SOTG commanding officer, or uh, yeah, it's at G, G7. He worked at G7. So I just go to his office one morning. This is two days before I deploy. And I, I call up. I said, sir, can I meet you? Can I, can I have a discussion with you the next day? He goes, sure. So I go to his office. I go walk in his office. I said, sir, I just heard a lot of rumors about this unit that's going to be, you know, building up. And I've heard that I'm on the list. I'm like, I just, I don't know anything. Can I confirm? You know what he told me, Seamus? He said, yeah. he said, go on deployment. <clears throat> don't die. Come back. <laughs> That was a discussion. I was like, Roger that, sir. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of him saying, yes, it's true. No, get out of here. Go to yeah. Iraq. Go do your thing and come back. And I was like, Roger that. So after we got done fighting together, you and I in Iraq, that uh, doing OF1, you're right. We were on our way back. We retrogated. And we we're planning on going to Australia, Townsville, Australia. And I think we were going to be there for how many days? How many days did you yeah, get? It was about there? a week. Yeah, about four days, four or five days. I was... You, I was so stoked. I was like, yes. <laughs> and then I get, and then, um, and then Colonel Wolhauser, uh, call him myself and two other guys, uh, that has been selected for that unit in his office, along with my platoon commander, uh, Captain White at the time. And he said, you guys are, he goes, the, the ship is, the ARG is going to Townsville, Australia. He goes, you guys, we get one day there and then you're flying out to go join this new unit. 
He goes, I just want to be the first to tell you. Because <laughs> him and Colonel Coach were buddies. And I you guess sure? Coach called him and, and told him. And so I had one day in Townsville while the rest of you guys had, what, a week. Uh, I had one day. I had a blast. Did what any Marine would try to do in a, in a port town for, you know, in 23 hours. <laughs> I probably tried to do it all. <laughs> and, um, and I was on a plane the next day back to the States. So that's the news I received on our way back to Australia was that I, w- I had been selected to join the unit called Detachment 1. Yeah, so just to, uh, uh, you know, most of the people that listen to this are probably my Marine Corps buddies, but just to put it in perspective, you know, if anybody out there is not familiar, Marine Corps, when, when they stood up U.S. SOCOM in 1986, like years after the Iran debacle with the, the hostage crisis, um, the Marine Corps never got involved in, in special operations proper. They were always special operations capable. We trained to a very, um, a very high standard to do special operations missions, but we didn't take commands from special operations command. Post 9-11, Secretary of Defense Cheney, I think, said, Marine Corps, the SEALs are taxed, the Rangers are taxed, SF is taxed, Green Braves are taxed, everybody's out working. You are now going to provide a special forces element. And they said, okay, you know, and then they, they built that one as a, the experiment or the prototype and put it under command of Naval Special Warfare, not under Navy SEALs, but under Naval Special Warfare. Um, and, and you guys operated in Iraq under that. And then it got blessed off and, and eventually uh, gave birth to Marine Special Operations Command, MARSOC. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, the, um, that's the Cinderella story, bro. That's the version I'm, you I'm just sure. told. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. I mean, no, no, that's that's good. But in a nutshell, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. That, that's the uh, G-rated version. <laughs> yeah, that's the G-rated version. Uh, that's the uh, win hearts and minds version. Um, but it was it was a tough thing the Marine Corps went through to get to to do this because this is not something Marine Corps wanted to do. Yeah. Right. Marine Corps. We've always professed that we're an elite within an elite, and the Marine and the Marine Combat Commander. That 06, that colonel that's, that's leading troops in combat does not like sharing tremendous assets, right? I mean, you tell me I have a force platoon, that's my force platoon. Oh, yeah. and, and, and I love that, man. I, I, love, I love working for the Marines, and Marines love working for Marines. Uh, there's nothing better than, you know, fighting a battle with Marine air above your head, man. You know what I'm saying? And we saw that when we crossed over Ukusar. We had that, those Cobras support. Those Cobras just kind of like paved the way for us, man. They were, like, they were shooting everything. Yeah, they were shooting everything. And it, it felt good, just like it felt good, you know, knowing that you and your boys were on, the, on those blocking positions as I were running into a building. So it's, it's you know, it's always been like that with me. You know, I've, I've appreciated Marine support on top of Marine support. So, and I understand where the combat commanders are coming from. But it was, it was, it was Rumsfeld, it was Donald Rumsfeld that that put that in action he was the one that was that said uh these recon guys need to be in socom and that was and that was because of what that platoon that 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 now general how uh, uh general um Wohlhauser, uh um had did in afghanistan with that force platoon that force platoon was in kandahar doing great things and doing some really good missions that got the attention of the pentagon and they, they, they asked, who are those guys? 
And they were like, oh, they're Force Recon Marines from the Mew. They're like, are they part of SOCOM? And the answer was no. And then Ron Strobel was like, why not? <laughs> well, because you want the long story or the short story, sir? It started back in 1986 when they got asked. And they said, no, we're an elite within the league. He goes, okay, great story. They're going to be in SOCOM now. And, you know, it was some pushing and some shoving, but it's coming from the Secretary of Defense. And he's like, no, this is going to happen. So that's where the, the proof of concept came in play. You know, they picked the right guy. He had to pick the right people. Colonel Coates was the right guy. Colonel Coates picked people, picked us, and then he picked uh, assets and, and you know, uh, capabilities to surround that. And, and yes, we, we got tagged on to NSW because they wanted someone to basically sponsor us on our first deployment as that particular unit. And, you know, the Army was in the room, Air Force was in the room, everybody's in the room, right, from, from SOCOM. And, um, and the SEALs, this one, this, this one commander who, who, who had some ties in the past to Marines, he's like, I'll take him. And that was uh, Commander Wilson. He's like, I got him. So we deployed with NSW, uh, NSW-1 uh, to Baghdad, and we worked with them and for them. And then and there were some other things where we actually, well, we always worked under their umbrella. But, but when we got there, things got a little complex. There was a lot of missions going on, and, and we really and no one really knew what our mission was going to be in Baghdad. But we kind of like, you know, we had to sell ourselves, per se. We had to show this is what we're capable of doing. And, and, uh, and we, we brought a robust team in. We can make plans. We can execute plans. And we can do everything. So, um, so that's how it all unfolded. And I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, the Marine Corps wasn't really too happy with that concept because now you're taking, you're taking some of the most elite Marines and you're, and, and you're using them for someone else's purpose and not for the Marine Corps purpose. And the Marine Corps doesn't like that. And I, and I get it. I understand. And even though when we were, and we understood that too, you know, we were all some senior guys and we understood the impacts of that. And that's why we, we did our best to, to show our true Marine Corps colors the entire time we were in that unit. Um, you know, our PT gear, you know, we could have picked any PT gear we wanted to wear and show people who we were, but we picked green on green, USMC, right across the chest and right on the thigh, man. <laughs> you know, we went boot camp style. We were like, that's who we are. We're Marines. And that's what we wanted to advertise to SOCOM and JSOC and everybody else, that we're Marines first. And there's nothing super, super special about what we do because we learned it in the Marine Corps and so, you know, we were just trying to really send a strong message out there to the SOCOM community and the JSOC community that, that Marines do a good job uh, uh, training and providing uh, special operations capability. So I think uh, we did that. And then, obviously, they were like, okay, we want something bigger. And then that's how Marsite came about. Well, I'll tell you, Bo, it was uh, that, that platoon where we first met. I mean, granted, I've only worked with a couple force platoons as – an infantry guy. Eventually, I went on to teach it at the Marsoc schoolhouse. But that platoon from that time period was one of the most professional platoons I've ever seen. I mean, like we had such an awesome relationship. Uh, and, and I thank you for the, uh, the the brief history. You know, the parts that I missed with with Det One and and Marsoc. So here's Bo goes you know mom doesn't want to sign the 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 papers that let you enlist then you end up <laughs> anyway then you end up in recon running behind the truck <laughs> doing the doing the 25s and fives 
Then you go off eventually to, uh, you know, you get your baptism under fire. Then your hand selected for debt one, eventually, in, you know, becoming Marsoc. And then what, like, the, the rest of your career plays out and you retire. And then what? What Where'd you go yeah. from there? Yeah, so after that, after that one, we, we build Marsoc. I go to Marsoc. Um, and I go there as a, as, a, as a comm guy to kind of kind of help establish the comm, you know. And, you know, you know how it is in recon. Like, it doesn't matter what your MOS is. Uh, well, if you're a recon or 03, you know, you get the, you get the job done. And over time, uh, you cross over, you know. You cross over and you become a team leader. You become an assistant team leader. You become a platoon sergeant. And I, and I've been, I was fortunate enough to have had all those jobs and all those billets. And so as I went to Marsoc, I went to Marsoc and I became a team chief uh, for the first West Coast uh, company. MSOC Alpha the, to deploy to Afghanistan and work. And so I did that, came back, got promoted to master sergeant, and then pretty much was, you know, I was in a comm, I was, I was, I was a comm chief for a while, and then I went to ops and I became the future operations chief. Um, once I became the future operations chief, it kind of, it was good. It was not bad, but I knew after the first time doing it, it was too far from the action for me. It was just too far. Um, Yes, I was talking to those guys down at the at the execution level every day, talking to their to their leadership. You know, we're putting con ops together. You know, we're planning. We're 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 doing a lot of things where you know we're talking back and forth about you know tactics and, and ways to solve problems on the battlefield. And 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 there were some rewarding moments, but there were but there were also some moments where I felt like, you know, I'm I'm like I'm not I'm not being as effective as I want to be because I'm sitting here in this office and. And I'm not where the boys are. And so um, they kind of weighed on me a little bit. And I made a decision, my last appointment in Afghanistan, that I was going to retire. I was getting promoted to E9. And E9 would only take me further away from where I really wanted to be. And, it, and, and yes, there's nothing wrong with being E9. There's nothing wrong with working at Marshall Headquarters. There's nothing wrong with, with being in charge of a lot of stuff and using your knowledge. And there, and there are people in the Marine Corps that are really, really, really good at that. I think I am too, but I would have been wrestling with myself on, on doing what I feel in my heart that I could still do, which was operate. Mm -hmm. So I chose to, to take my, um, take my healthy body <laughs> and my healthy mind and go do something that was still stimulating, that, that would still stimulate my, my body and my mind. And, uh, and I chose to retire. And uh, when I did, I chose to retire and do something in sports or athletics, athletics and sports. Now, it, you know, it's funny when uh, when I had gotten convinced to start this podcast and I uh, started thinking about people, you know, and I, I remember seeing you on, um, you know, posting on Facebook and some of the things you were doing in different athletics, working with rugby teams, working with football teams, high school teams, college teams. And I was like, well, if I ever get a chance to talk to Bo, let me let me actually see what he's doing. So I Googled your name, right? And it comes up actor. I said, actor? <laughs> and I said, how many Andre Bozers is there that could be an actor? So I click on the, it was, a, I think it was even an IMDB. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I think pops up Lionhearted Film. I don't know what year it was made. I forget. But uh, there was okay. a clip on you. I think you were coaching high school football at the time. It's what it yeah. looked like. That was and, last uh, year, man. You were getting interviewed. That was only last year. That was only last year. Okay. I thought you were talking about something else because there was something else that that I also did uh, on on 
you know, what movies or whatever. But yeah, that well, was, there was the most one exciting. where I think they made a, a Marine Corps commercial with you. And I think a bunch of your buddies yes. were giving you some static about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in a, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'll let you go ahead. You keep, yeah, keep going. You got it, man. <laughs> No, Those but are things the, I don't talk about. <laughs> yeah, but what can can you tell us a little bit about this uh, the Lionhearted film? I don't know if it's Lionhearted yeah. project or film. No, absolutely, man. Lionheart, the Lionheart uh, film was a great, great uh, experience for me. So, um, yeah, I was coaching high school football uh, at a local high school where I live. I live in La Costa, which is in the southern part of Carlsbad in North County, San Diego. Uh, so when I retired out of Marine Corps, I just I just stayed right there in the area. Um, I was already um, coaching football when I when I retired. I had been coaching football for about two years, two or three years uh, before I retired. You know, between in between deployments, and I was doing it at the youth level. And my last year at the youth level, I coached an eighth grade team. Uh, we went to championships, and the high school coach was like, "Hey, man, you know, you want to come over and coach?" I'm like, "Oh, wow, sure." So, um, so I had been coaching, and Lionheart approached me. Well, a friend of mine, I need to start work. A friend of mine, a guy named by the name of DJ. So DJ lives here in Wilmington, where I'm currently located, visiting my buddy Ron Holmes. Ron talks about me all the time. This was like six years ago, seven years ago. About he would he would tell DJ about me because DJ is a water guy. DJ has a degree in marine biology and and you know master degree in marine biology, and he takes photos on the water and like some of his stuff is great. So if you ever get a chance, uh, DJ Strunz is his name. Look him up. Um, He's got some great pictures, some great work. My buddy Ron and him are friends, and Ron was talking to him about me. And, and DJ, me and DJ, we've been friends virtually, virtually only for about, you know, for five years. I, I only met DJ for the first time ever face-to-face this past January at SHOT Show. No kidding. But prior to that, him and I had been friends via phone, text, email, and video. This guy, DJ, knows a guy named Shane Ruiz, who is a former 10th Mountain guy who works for Safari Land Group. Shane Ruiz uh, lives in Temecula, California, and he was pretty much fed up with the watered-down Veterans Day message that he sees every single year on TV. And he realized that he was in a position to film and do things like that because that's what he does. He's a photographer and videographer. That's how him and DJ really know each other through that world. And he works with Safariland Group, which, you know, uh, design holsters and law mm-hmm. enforcement and military accessories. And so Shane had this idea that, you know, like, I want to do something on, for Veterans Day that is for veterans by veterans. And so they, they came up with this, the Lionhearted Project, and with some other guys he talked to, and, and, and they wanted to interview some veterans and get their stories. And... I got involved because DJ told Shane, you need to interview Bone. Now, DJ never met me face to face, right? <laughs> so that just kind of shows how, how great of a guy he is and, you know, that he would do that. And, and Shane was like, good to go. So Shane contacted me and I was coaching football at La Costa County High School right there in La Costa, uh, head coach of the freshman team. And they contacted me and I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's do the interview. And it's basically like he wanted to get my story as a veteran. Um, basically, you know, what I did in the military, my transition out and how's my transition going now. Right. So this, this was all, all kind of surrounding the, the whole 22 veteran a day movement, right. What 22 veterans commit suicide a day, you know, movement, you know, all that just bringing awareness to all those things. 
So they interviewed me. They came out to the high school. I told them what day I was going to be there. And we, we actually, it was a summer, summer workouts. We had summer workouts just started, summer camp just started. And they came out with the whole crew. I told the coach, told, told all the players I was going to be there. And they did this, man. They, they recorded it and asked me some questions. I didn't know they were going to ask me, but they asked and they got my story. They got, you know, uh, and they put it together. And I would tell you, Seamus, um, it was very impactful. I'm, I'm, I'm not one to, I don't want to, you know, talk about a lot of things, not because I don't want to, just people don't ask me. So I don't get a chance to do it often, but they asked me some really pointed questions that actually like made me cry. <laughs> well, I've watched it a couple of times and I mean, each time, like, um, you know, I mean, our stories are so similar in, in that respect. And, and, um, yeah. you know, there was a, there was one point where, you told the story about one one of the Marines who was having some issues and yeah, yeah, you guys all pulled yeah. together. And then there was another time where somebody asked you if you had PTSD and you were like, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel anything. And maybe it's, you know, working with the football that's keeping, yeah. keeping everything straight. Right. And, right. and it, it's something, you know, and it's kind of how I got to where I am today, you know, doing all this is, is I, I just find sports and, and being active, such a, a um, important part of, of main, you know, just keeping one's mental health, not to mention the physical health. And, and you know, we'll, we'll get into standard elite because when I, as I look at the Web page, like I see a lot of a lot of great bullets on, on your Web page that are so simple, but yet so powerful. Right. Thank you. So. Yeah, I, I thought that film was was really awesome, uh, and I, I'm going to put a link to that clip if it's okay in the you know no, in, please in the do. show notes. Um, you know, and I, and I don't want to spend too much time on that. But what I, I think what I found interesting is as we go into talking about standard elite, yeah, you know, I, I think and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of the same themes. You know, whether you're working with the young kids or the college kids, veterans, professionals whatever and and when we go into the bullets like um you know the the um i got one pulled up here what is it the hands-on leadership with the scenarios and all that like and, and i think i asked you before we started when i sent you the the outline you know when people are in these difficult positions the way that you guys challenge you know your your athletes that you're working with like is anybody even uh recognizing how much that sharpens the brain when you have to think on your feet and engage, you know, your, your motor systems and everything like that. So, I mean, I just right. watch watching that clip of you with the high school kids answering those questions and then going to your webpage and seeing what you're doing with not only young kids, but older kids. Like, I, I think it's a really awesome flow, man. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you're getting great results when I when I see who some of your clientele is. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man, I have to give some credit to uh, a company that really kind of opened my eyes to that that whole um, that whole market. You know, um, when I was retiring, I was a guy by the name of Eric Capitula who used to be a Force Recon uh, officer at First Force, and I don't know if you remember 1999 when the Hilo went down, the Hilo yep. crash off yep. Point Loma. So he was on that aircraft and, and, you know, he lost, you know, we lost some men that day. Uh, and, um, and he did a lot of work to, to make sure that those, those, those Marines and sailors uh, names were never forgotten and their kids uh, are taken care of and their wives are taken care of and things like that. And, and 
you know, he did that. And, and I know that was a painful experience for him uh, as a platoon commander to, to lose so many guys in one shot. Um, even if it was just one, it's still tough, but you know, through that, you know, he went on and he did a lot of things to, to raise money and things like that. Uh, fast forward, you know, he eventually got out of Marine Corps. He got out. I think he spent maybe eight or nine years. I can't remember exactly in the Marine Corps from there. He went back to the East coast where he's from on uh, that Massachusetts area. And he started working with, with athletes. You know, he's an athlete himself. You know, he went to Naval Academy and he played lacrosse there. He was a, a very, uh, very well-known triathlete. Um, and, you know, the guy really is not a stranger to hard work and, and mental toughness and things like that. So he went back and he started working with, with I think, I believe he started working with the Naval Academy, his old lacrosse team, and doing some things. Where eventually he's, he just kind of started teaching leadership and team-building skills to to these athletes. And then, you know, and then he, and he started this thing where it's like, you know, I, you know, this would be good for athletics, the athletic community. And as I was getting out, he had already established his company and he asked me, he's like, Hey, would you like to join this? And, and I didn't know what he was doing. He explained it to me and he flew me out and I went to Indiana, worked with Indiana football and got a chance to be around athletes and kind of see what they do. And, and I, and I saw really quickly how much they did not know as an athlete. And, and I was, and the things that didn't know was not, harming them but i was like if only they knew this whoa it would change the game um and 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 so he he's he started he started a company called the program you can look them up they do really well um and they do leadership and team building for athletic for athletic teams and they also do some corporate stuff so so i got my first look into that there i was still coaching but but the things that i saw it just propelled me to continue to to take to take those leadership and take those those lessons learned when I was with that company, and I continue to give it to the kids at the youth level. I give it to the kids at the high school level. I give it to the kids, anybody I work with. So when when I was a coach, I was not only coaching the tactics of the game, you know, uh, you know, football, running backs, quarterbacks, and whatnot, uh, offense, defense. I was also there was leadership involved in everything I did, and because of that, it, our team played very well all the time. It was consistent. Uh, the coaches coached well all the time because we had rules that we follow that had nothing to do with the tactical situation, but everything with the physical and the mental situation of our presence. And so, um, so I worked with them for about two and a half years, and then I and I went on and I continued to work into strength conditioning. Uh, and I ran a boxing club for a little while, and I implemented all these things. So I'm, I know I'm getting back to the transition of standard league. Well, when when the boxing club I was managing was sold by the owner, it was like my way to say, okay, what are you going to do now? Because I wasn't going to school anymore. I was doing that and I was coaching football, which was great. I was having a blast, but I wanted something more. And so when that happened, I knew exactly what I was going to do, Shane. So I was like, I'm going to go back to leadership and, and mindset development. And I immediately started doing that. And I, already, and I already had people that I already kept in touch with from colleges and whatnot. And, and it just started. And like you said, you see a seamless transition. You see, you look at my website and you look at Lionhearted and you look at me coaching and you see one seamless, one, one common line between all those phases of my life or, or my military to my post-military life. It's all, that's what it's all about, man. And it's all about people. It's all about, you know, uh, giving people the tools they need to be better humans. And by doing that, you will increase the competitive nature of sport increase the competitive nature of business, you increase the competitive nature of anything anybody wants to do. 
I don't believe that there should be a lopsided, you know, I love the Patriots. I love, I'm a Houston, Texas fan. I, I, I respect the New England Patriots, but there's no reason why they should be winning every year. Yeah. Right. It should be like, you don't know who's going to win it. Everybody's, everybody's awesome. Everybody's got this stuff. Everybody's doing crazy things. It's great. And I, and I, and I believe that can happen because I look back at our careers, James, and I look at, you know, being the best of the best means you train, you train to be the best of the best. And you, what if everything, and you taking everything, and you train everything. And a lot of sports teams do not train everything. They only train the obvious. They train how to catch, run, throw, block, tackle, mm-hmm. shoot the hoop, shoot the three-pointer, whatever. You know, these are the things in their mind that think it matters. But we both know that what really matters, because we know when the bullet hits the ground, the tactics are good. The tactics are good until they're not good. And then what takes over? What takes over is a human, that, that, that human initiative, leadership, mindset, all that stuff. You know, that's what takes over. And I believe that. And that's why I started Standard Elite, because I do believe, uh, um, I do believe adherence to high standards cultivates elite outcomes. And that's why I named it Standard Elite. It's, it's a very fitting name. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to I read something uh word for word off off of your page under uh, I think it's uh, on what we do so it says a uh, standard elite equips athletes coaches and teams with practical tools that rid poor body language excuses unhealthy attitudes standard elite helps athletes coaches and teams perform at the next level while maintaining high standards and full accountability of each other's actions you mentioned mindset now we're talking sports right now but I, I like to throw this out there for pretty much anybody that's feeling bad about themselves and they th- can't, they think, they think things can't get any better. Let's talk about mindset. Yes. What do you got? <laughs> so, <laughs> so mindset, man, I've been playing with that word for, you know, for the last six months, like, like, like intimately, like playing, like I write it on a piece of paper and I come up with a different, different definition, a different way to describe it every time. And, and mindset is, is, is the, is the, is your belief system. It encompasses your belief system, whatever your belief system to the core of who you are, that's, that, that generates, that stimulates that, that is the foundation of your mindset. So people say you got to have a warrior mindset. You got to have a positive mindset. You have to have a killer mindset. You have to have a, you know, uh, a mindset that allows, you know, like people can break down. They say use mindset and they, they, and they, then they try to tell you what it needs to be. The mindset is, is based off your belief system. If your belief system is positive, if your belief system has, has core values that you believe in, uh, you know, if you're, if your your mindset contains, uh, um, discipline, you know, you know, other things that drives you to do the things that you do, then that is your mindset. You can call it whatever you want. That is your mindset. So here's the thing. So if someone is struggling with something, they're struggling with something and they, and, and, and they just can't see through it, they just can't see it through it, the mindset, the belief system is not strong. It's not, it doesn't have the ingredients that it needs to have in order for you to propel through those things. Right? I'll look at myself. I really only I can look at myself. I look at how I was brought up, how I was raised, what the military provided for me. I don't like negativity. I don't like it. Like I like I literally I want to throw up when it's around me. It's it is something that I'm blessed to not really want to have or I can't I can't see the bad I can't see bad 
I can always see good and something bad that happens. You know what I mean? So but that's my mindset because my because my belief system makes me that way. So on the general spectrum of we talk about mindset, when people say, oh, to have a good mindset. Well, what's a good mindset? You know, you know, coaches, coaches need to provide their athletes with the ingredients of the mindset that they need to have. Stop saying, you know, good mindset. Like establish a good mindset with these these ingredients, right? And uh, and a lot of people show up with a with a mindset they already have, but we need to find out what the ingredients are because I really truly truly believe if your mindset is based on your belief system, like what like you know you know how you feel about uh, adversity, you know how do you feel about taking the easy way versus the hard way, you know how do you feel about uh, someone cutting you off uh, while you're driving, you know do you give them the finger, do you blow your horn, do you cuss them out, you know. Or do you overtake them and do the same thing? I mean, what's your, I mean, what's, what's your, what's your, that's, 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 that's part of your mindset. Yeah. You know, because when you get in the game and someone hits you hard and you're playing football and you get hit really hard and you get up and you're mad because that guy did his job on you. Come on. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, so what do you, what if you have a, uh, I don't know, let's say a, a receiver who's maybe in a slump. He can't catch a ball or or a guy who's supposed to be a great baseball player and he's just striking out left and right. And he, he's in a slump and he's probably got a, a pretty negative mindset. Like, how, how do you encourage – and it almost seems juvenile when I say this. Right. Now, but how do you encourage that guy to to turn himself around or that gal? Well, well first of all, I, I just let them recognize that they're in a game. They're competing. They're in a game, okay? So in this game, right, he's at bat. You know, he's he's hit the ball before. You know, the first thing I was like, hey, have you ever hit the ball before? Yeah, of course I have. Okay, well, then you know you can do this, right? Okay, good. Okay, let's, let's check one. You know you're capable of hitting the ball, all right? Okay, now, this pitcher, the, 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 the pitcher showed up to do what? To strike you out. Maybe, hey, maybe he did his job. Maybe he's practicing. Maybe he did all this stuff. What you need to do now is accept the fact that you are in a competitive game and you're, and you're going up against another competitor. So it's not a slump. You just got to dig in and find those keys that you need to win. You know, is, is, you know um, if this guy is striking, this guy's striking you out, then you got to go back to the bench. You got to use your energy to figure out how you can get a hit on this guy. Not sit there and pout. And be within yourself and spend and spend unnecessary energy on trying to figure out what's up with this slump and it doesn't make you feel good because you're not striking because you're not hitting the ball. No, man, you need to you need to do what, what Peyton Manning did between every series uh, uh, of a game. Like every time he was on the field and if they scored a touchdown or even if they didn't score a touchdown, they went they went three and out or four and out. He gets back to the sideline. What do you do? He gets that little computer and he started looking at start looking at the defense, figuring out how he's gonna tear him apart. You got to always be in a state of learning, always. So let, me, let me up the ante a little bit, Bo. You, now you 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 live in uh, the Carlsbad area, is that right? Yeah. It's still pretty military, uh, pretty heavy military influence between San Diego and and L.A. Um, yeah. How do you change? How how would what might be some words of wisdom uh, regarding mindset you would have for some of these guys, some of these vets that, that they think, uh, you know, they don't have no other way out and, and they're ready to call it quits, you know, going back to the, uh, to the lion heart. Man, I would sit them down and I would, and I would, I would show them everything they accomplished. 
in the military, and I would ask him, I would ask him, how did they accomplish it? What was your mindset? What was the environment that you that you were in where you accomplished these things that to some people seem damn near impossible? Let's go back down there. Let's let's go revisit your glory days, as you want to call it. All right, and then from there, let's 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 extract these good qualities that you had, or these good qualities that you use to be the Marine that you were when you were in. Okay, now, all right, so we found some good things there, right? Obviously, there's a lot of things, man. You're, you're literally like a hero. Okay, now, how do we take that? How do we take those things and, 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 and push them towards or, or, or move them over into the civilian sector? And that's what, that's what veterans get lost, man, is that they're expecting the civilian sector to be open and to understand who they are. And that's not going to happen because the military is, is, is comprised of 2% of the entire nation's population. 2%. Why would 98% want to know anything about the 2%? I mean, they do because they see it on TV, but they really don't know who we are. Yeah. Right? But the 2%, we, we, we know everything about the 98%, or, 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 or we know, we're aware of the 98%. So we come out of the military, we're expecting people to understand us and they don't it is our job to present ourselves in such a way where we're teaching and educating people this is who we are but at the same time we have to do our homework and learn who they are i had to sit back and learn what the civilian what civilian life is all about like by watching reading and then understanding okay you know like like something for me i would get upset i would get annoyed when i would show up to a function that my buddies would say hey we're gonna oh we're gonna watch football at this time, be here at this bar at this time. This is all my civilian buddies. And I show up 15 minutes early and no one's there. <laughs> and the first and the first guy that shows up shows up 15 minutes late. So I've been there 30 minutes by myself. <laughs> and the first time, the first couple of times it happens, you're like, oh, whatever, whatever. But I would tell you, Seamus, that was burning me up, man, inside. And I could understand, like, like I could understand how these guys had jobs, had six-figure jobs. You know, when they couldn't even show up, they couldn't even, they couldn't respect the timeline that was set out. And then it hit me. Why am I holding my non-military friends to the same standards I would hold my military friends? Why do that? They, they don't even know I'm holding them to a standard. And here I am getting flustered <laughs> because, here I am getting flustered because, because I've set down some standards and some rules that I didn't even share with them, but I expect them to adhere to. Man, when I stepped back and I realized what I was doing, it was profound. So I stopped doing it, obviously. And I and then I just kind of like flirted with the idea of showing up at seven o'clock instead of show, oh, showing up at nine o'clock instead of nine, eight forty five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just and then just kind of see what it's like. And I'm like, and then you know, you know, you, you know, you go through these phases of, well, I don't I don't want to reduce my standards. Okay. You're not reducing your standards. Your standards are from the military. This is you're not in the military anymore. So those standards are valid, but you got to pick and choose where they belong. You need to adopt the civilian standard. And the civilian standard is we're not in a hurry to get anywhere. <laughs> we'll be there when we be there. Yeah. <laughs> because we got other stuff going on too. So it's kind of like free flow. And I actually love that free flow because if I do show up five minutes late to a social function to watch football or whatever. My friends are not tripping. Now, if I conduct business, if I conduct business, I'm there on time because they appreciate that, right? Sure. But leisure, but leisurely, bro, I'm not, 
I, I, if I show up 15 minutes early, I expect to be there by myself now. But you know what? It's worked out because sometimes I take my work on the road with me and I'll show up 15 minutes early before I meet a bunch of my friends to get 15 minutes of work done. Yeah, hey, there you go. So it's, it's, about, it's about perspective, man. It's how you look at it. But you got to look at yourself first. You got to stop fighting with yourself. You got to stop trying to make things fit in, in a box that, that only holds, you know, a pound worth of stuff. You're trying to fit five pounds of stuff in it. Or you're trying to fit the square peg in a round hole. It, it, stop trying to do that. Find the appropriate shape. Find the appropriate, the, the appropriate amount of information and put it where it needs to go. But it starts with us, man. And we got, we got to, as veterans, we got to stop feeling sorry for ourselves and feel like everybody owes us something. I volunteered to join the military. And people need to, don't forget why you volunteered. You volunteered. You volunteered. You didn't get drafted. You volunteered to fight, to go take it to the enemy so we can love, we can enjoy football and popcorn and baseball and apple pie and ice cream and, and you know, Starbucks, man. You know, I, like, like, think about it. Every time you came back from the point, what's the first thing you did? You went to your favorite restaurant, got that big double-decker double burger. Oh, yeah. And you ate it, and you felt good. You're like, this was worth it. <laughs> and so we can't forget that. We cannot, as veterans, we cannot forget why we signed up to do what we wanted to do. And if you signed up because you wanted to gain all those benefits from the VA, you're, then that was poor on your part. <laughs> that was poor on your part, right? But if you, you signed up for the reasons why I signed up. I wanted a challenge. I didn't want, to, I didn't want people to owe me anything. So we shouldn't. So when we get out, we shouldn't. We shouldn't have that feeling, man. We should be. We should be grateful. Number one, that we're able to exit the military, and we still have our life. We have our family, and we still have opportunity. And there's way more opportunity in the civilian world. Than there is in the military. And the reason why I say that because the military is is small and it's structured. It's a corporation. But when you get out here in the civilian world, and like me, I work for myself. Man, the opportunities are vast. And if our veterans don't pick their heads up and look around and, and, and really search within their heart and say, what is it that I really, really want to do that's going to make a difference? If they don't ever do that, they're going to always be hamstring. I feel like I can do whatever I want in the civilian community. I mean, I'm, I'm talking when I say whatever I want, I mean like reckless. I mean, I could do, I could pursue my dreams. I could pursue my passion. And that's what I do. And as long as I do that, I never feel like I'm working. And I'm always having fun. I don't worry about money. Yeah. It's not money. It's not money that, that that drives my heart, right? It's it's people that drives my heart. You know, helping people, hearing hearing people's stories about what they went through and how they overcame it. That's what life's all about. So, so man, I know that was long winded, bro. You got me. You you, you put me on a deep tangent no, on that, that one. But that, that's good. That's man. my passion. Yeah. That's why I love doing what I do, though. That, that's 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 the kind of stuff I like to hear. And and. You know, I've, I've told plenty of people, you know, I mean, I, I see people who are like, oh, I don't, you know, in the military, I was this. Now I don't have a purpose or whatever. And there's this identity crisis. And, and I yes. think volunteering is is a great way to get that purpose back. If that's what you desire. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of opportunities to volunteer. You could, you know, coach summer sports or help out at, at, at a clinic or, you know, I don't know, walk the dogs at the local pound. There, there's something out there. You can volunteer. Something, bro. Environment. Yeah. Like I like what you're doing. Like you, like you, like like you being in fitness, right? You're in fitness, and you're changing so many lives, man. You're touching lives, and people believe in you, right? <laughs> you believe in you, and so that's responsibility. That's purpose. 
another life. I mean, we, we've experienced this in combat. Yeah. Other lives were, you know, depending on us. Your teammates, you left and your right. They're depending that you do your job so, so they can go home and see their loved ones. Right? Or, or we just get the mission done. Nothing changes. You know, you know, being a trainer, being an educator, being a facilitator, being whatever you want to be. And, and if, it, if it has something to do with helping somebody, selling a product, somebody make their life better, that's, your, that's a purpose. You're responsible to people. And, I, and, and, and if, for those people that need that instant gratification, I, I think if you're able to help somebody else out, you, you feel that right away. And it, yeah. it almost seems selfish, but I mean, it's a good feeling. It is. It is. But that's, that's the name of the game. That's, that's, what we're, that's the name of the mission, man. The mission is, is people. People are our greatest asset. You know, I, I, don't, I don't invest money, bro. I invest time in people, right, connecting. Because you never, like, I'm sitting here in Wilmington, and I haven't paid, I haven't paid any money towards a place to stay. Brother, I've been on the road for like the last three weeks. I was in Hawaii. I was in Hawaii before this with an event with the Marine Recon Foundation, which I'm a board member of. And we, we, it looked like like you guys had a good time. Man, we flew six Gold Star families out to Hawaii, all expense paid from great fundraisers and you know sponsorships. Love the people that 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 contribute to that, bro. I didn't have to worry about a place to stay before or after the event. I'm in Wilmington. I have to, I have to worry about a place to stay <laughs> before or after. Like we we drove to South Carolina to the Summer Strong event. I slept on a uh, on a um, on an air mattress at a at an Airbnb that a friend of me and Ron Holmes already bought. He was like, "Just stay with me." <laughs> I like connection, man. Like you can travel the world on literally a dollar twenty five cents if you got the right connections. Yeah, I, I can I can attest to that. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> but I want to let's uh, get back to people real quick. Is is a good uh, way to bring it back to uh, standard elite. I got another thing I want to read off of here, uh, uh, for obvious reasons. So uh, you got a bullet that says physical exercise. So this is uh what you what you guys do with the your your clients. Physical exercise that challenges athletes' ability to stay focused on designated tasks while performing in a high-stress environment. Right. I can I can only imagine what kind of grinder you might put these guys through. But um, and, and I kind of uh, mentioned this earlier. But have you guys studied any of the uh, uh, research regarding like cognitive function and exercise and and things like that? Well, you know what I I. I read a book years ago when I was a young sergeant, uh, Force Recon. It was called uh, 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 Sharpening the, the Warrior's Edge. Okay, Sharpening the Warrior's Edge. And this book talked about cognitive um, uh, um, responses to, to, to physical input, to stressors, right? So, you know, meaning, you know, your heart rate goes up. What's some things that get diminished, right? So... If your heart rate goes up above 150 beats per minute, you start losing your your um, your your fine fine your fine uh, motor skills, you know, dexterity, things like that, right? Uh, as your as your heart rate continues to increase past those points, your the only things left is your gross motor skills. So your gross motor skills improve, meaning you know how to push, pull, lift, and drop, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you can think back during your time with us when we were training on the range. Right. And learning how to, and you know, we're, we're shooting and we're shooting on the pressure. 
right? Um, all the training we've ever done in special ops, and you can attest to this because you're on the range with me, you know, it was all done to increase our, our ability to handle stressors and pressure and stay and, and keep our cognitive uh, 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 status normal, right? Meaning that I can, I can make decisions, I can push buttons, I can do very intricate uh, and exact things in a very pressurized system, right? We were trained to that. And that's what all that training was for, you know, wearing all the equipment, doing it at, doing it at night, doing it in the daytime, doing it with one arm but tied behind your back, doing it with a gas mask on, doing it without a gas mask. All that was to increase, increase the stressors to still get you to perform at a cognitive level that, that, that allows you to still perform of, of, of fine motor skills, make great decisions, and, and, and keep your mental focus nice and stable. Because we know when all hell breaks loose, if 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 my mind's going, if, if my mind is is being is being uh, um, 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 if my mind's being influenced by the stressors, then I then I'm just I'm just adding fire to the stress, right? I don't want to add fire to the stress. I want to put on my my fire suit and not get burned by the stress and make a good decision. This is you know so. I know it's kind of probably a weird analogy, but I just had that in my head. Oh, no, that makes, um, makes perfect sense. Yeah, but but that's but that's what that's all about. So no, I haven't done any like re- scientific research, scientific study, but I remember when I was a young sergeant, I read this book. I can't remember who gave it to me, and that book was profound because I realized in order for me to shoot on the move with things buzzing by me and blowing up, I needed to my cognitive state needed to stay. What I call, I use a color code. I would say it needs to be green. Green is like, I'm good. I'm flowing. I'm awesome. Mm-hmm. Everything else around me is red, blowing up, death, destruction, you name it. But in my mind, everything's green. And the only way you can get that balance is you have to put yourself through that and practice that. And how's, how's the response from, uh, from the athletes you work with to that? I mean, does anybody ever have like, uh, you know, like one of these breakthroughs where like, man, I, I can't believe that I. Was able oh, yeah. That under those oh, yeah. conditions. Absolutely, all the time. I mean, and you see it. So, so like, say, for example, you give an athlete a, a problem. You give them a physical and a mental problem put in front of them. And, and, and then you put a clock on it. So where now they have physical pressure, mental pressure, and, oh, by the way, you have, this has to be done at a certain time. That's enough to stress any athlete out, right? It stresses me out thinking about it. But it's enough to stress them out. The first time they do it, they're going to probably fail, right? They're gonna fail, but 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 as they're trying to do it and as they're failing, you see all these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful nuggets coming out of this exercise. You see all these things that you can use to reteach and show that athlete, like, okay, hey, this is what you did. Vice doing this, and then and and then in the moment, you have to stop and you have to talk to the athlete. What were you feeling, right? And then you got to let them understand that this is all natural. This is this is a natural response. So now we're gonna do it again. And I want you to have a little bit more control of this, a little more control of that. The pressure is going to be the same. It's all about being familiar with, with pressure. The pressure is going to be the same. And then watch them do it that time. And, and then, you know, you see them breathing better. You see them communicating. You see them not getting flustered by what, but by, by other things that's not, that's not, that's out of their control. So we teach, you know, control the controllables. Well, you need to know, you need to know what those controllables are. So as they do that, and the more times you put them through that, man, by the, you know, 
third, fourth time, you see significant improvement. And you get that feedback from like, wow, I didn't think I could do this. I mean, and that's the, that's the, that's the number one thing is when you, int- you introduce someone to something new with pressure and stressors and time and whatnot, they already have in their head that they don't think they can do it because it is unfamiliar to them. And once you put that in your head, once you put, I don't think I can do it, your body starts, your body produces all the chemicals necessary to prove that point right. You cannot do it and you will not be able to do it. But if you say, I got this, there's a high chance that you're going to do better. You might not make 100% on it, but you're going to do a lot better because you're going with the confidence and you're telling your body, I can do this. So now your brain is open, willing to taking information and, and spurt out good information back. But when it's when you're on the negative spectrum of things, your body is constantly, constantly trying to protect you, protect you from, from failing. And you already said, I can't do it. So your body does everything to make sure you don't do it because you already said, I can't do it. So your body's not going to give you that, that other response. No, no, I believe in you. Let's go. No, your body does exactly what you say you want it to do. It's, if it's in like your mind. In the cartoons when the, the good angel stuck in traffic somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You got a good angel on one shoulder, a bad angel on the other shoulder. And a good angel's like, just stay calm. And a bad angel's like, honk your horn. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, who do I listen to? Who do I listen to? What if you, if you, you know, I'm in traffic, man. I'm in, I'm driving and people are going nuts around me. I stay calm. You know why I stay calm? Because when I stay calm, I can see things happen before it happens. But if, if someone cuts me off and I, st- and I get focused on that target, oh, you creep, you just cut me off. I don't see the person behind me that's getting ready to rear end me. Yeah. I don't see the person uh, side of me getting ready to do something, whatever. If, when I'm calm, I can see it all. And I remember when I was you know, just shooting, when you're shooting and you have to see the whole room. You remember that, right? You go and make oh, a room yeah. entry. You cannot get target fixation. You get target fixation. You're not going to see the person in the corner with a gun pointing to your head. You're not yeah. going to see anything. You're not going to see the dog coming after you. You're not going to see the... You're not going to see any of that stuff. You're not going to see the bomb sitting in the middle of the room with, 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 with a little ticker on it going 10, 9, 8, 7. You won't see that. But if you come in there and you're calm and you're cool and your mind's open and you trust your instincts and you trust your flow and you trust your training, you'll see everything. And that's been – so no research, sorry. But our experience, man, your experience and my experience, that is a research. Yeah, no, no, and I, I totally agree. I mean um... – you know, I, I've taken a lot of these uh, sports and health courses and things like that. And, you know, we, we cover everything, you know, some of it's kind of repetitive, like, you know, carb loading or, you know, how proper hydration or whatever. And I, I think back to like, I don't have hands on experience developing a hydration plan, but I remember what worked and what didn't work when it was 120 degrees out in the desert. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. Gatorade wasn't yeah. the no, Gary was not the answer because we didn't have it. Yeah. Uh, but you, you, you're right, man. You're right, and and that's and that's the cool thing. And that, and like what you're doing, Seamus. Uh, you know, in health and fitness, I think every military person has the ability to be a great strength coach, has the ability to be a great coach, whether it's mind coach, whether it's you know strength conditioning coach, has the awesome ability to be a teacher, an educator, because we've set through more classes and we give them more classes. We've we put our bodies through probably some of the worst situations without the proper, you know, scientific recovery methods or carb, carb or protein methods or carb methods or anything like that. And still, we pushed our bodies to the brink of death and our bodies still perform. There's something to be said about that. Now, we did it because we had to and we wanted to because we want to get the mission done. But if you really sit down 
and take note with everything you know now as a trainer and think about those days, you know, you know, you know, go back to that picture where that famous picture of you, you know, with, with the cigarette in your mouth and you got your helmet on sideways and Fallujah and how exhausted you look. I would, I, man, someone should ask someone, you know, I should interview you. I should get a strength coach to interview you and talk about what was your, what was your mindset and what was your physical set at that time? Were you physically exhausted? How exhausted were you compared to anything you've done since then? How exhausted were you? And what, and, and, and right after that picture, what did you do next? Did you have 24 hours of, of rest and recovery, uh, sauna bath, bath salt, uh, massage? Did you have that? Or was it like get right oh, back out from to the street? <laughs> it was right back to the street, right? Right back yeah. to the street, jumping through windows, climbing over walls, yelling at guys. You probably didn't even eat. You probably didn't even remember eating during that time. So where did all that energy come from? You're right. I mean, that would be an interesting, interesting, interesting interview. And this is what we're talking about being a veteran and, and, and having purpose is that we, we've experienced things and we could take our experiences and turn our experiences into something that can help the civilian population. Now we're on to something. So, bro, we, I know we've been going for a little while. There, there's one thing I, I can't let you go without going over it though. And that's your, your checklist. Can you explain yes, that? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The checklist. So the checklist, C H E C K list. So it's something that came up with to, to pretty much summarize how I live my life. The most important, the most important tenets or the most important values that I've learned over my entire time living, mostly in the military, that has that has put me in a position of success. And when I, I define success as the position to be able to learn and grow over and over and over again. That is success to me. So the first thing is communication. That's the first C. Right. You got to be a good communicator, which means you got to be able to communicate verbally and non-verbally. Verbally, you got to you got to use good words. You got to be able to you got to be able to talk to people, uh, say nice things, understand what people are telling you, uh, you know, speak clearly, speak loudly. All these all these things that you learn, just being able to speak to people, speak, open your mouth, say something cool and nice and great and meaningful and impactful. The second part of communication is nonverbal. Your body language. What is your body saying? Stand up straight. Smile at people. Shake their hand. Make eye contact. You know, when something bad goes wrong, don't sit there and look like, like, oh my, like, like the world's going to end. You know, in five minutes. You know, I mean, people are watching you. And I learned this type of lesson when I was a Marine Corps. You know, when I was walking around one day and 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 I didn't have my devices on, I had my wings and my bubble on because everybody was calling us cowboys back in the nineties and like you know, and it, it was bad, man. Like and like we and that's that's not who we wanted to be, but. So people were calling us cowboys. Oh, look at those recon guys. They just got it off. So I stopped wearing my badges just so I can blend in and just be and just 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 blend in like everybody else. And I went on get this attention. And I did that. And this Marine stopped me one day, young Lance Corporal. He said, and I was a corporal. He goes, he goes, hey, corporal, you still in recon? I'm like, yeah. He goes, oh, I didn't see your badges. And man, I, I, I'm trying to go to recon. I see you every day. I, I watch you. I watch you. I see you at the gym. I see you. I'm like, what? So you never know who's watching you, man. Yeah. So nonverbal communication is key. Right. And, you know, how you talk to your athletes, how you stand there, all that good stuff. So communication is 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 paramount, man. We all need to be become really great communicators. The other thing is humility. That's the H. Humility. Big humility, man. You know, never forget where you started and be grateful for where you are. I mean, if you do that, if you do that every day, if, if, if you're doing something and it seems like that it's defeating you or it's tough or whatever, you got to say, OK, never forget where I started. Right. Like Seamus, with your first podcast. The first time when you thought about doing a podcast, were you nervous? Yeah. 
Yeah. I get nervous every yeah. time I turn this computer on. <laughs> but, 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 but you keep doing it, man. And, 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 and if any time you're getting ready to do a podcast and you feel like things are not working out, I want you to remember, remember when you started it. Remember where you started and look where you are now. Man, you've done more. Now you're on your 15th or whatever podcast it is. That's improvement. That means that, 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 that there's no ceiling for you. You know, and then and if you and if you and if you have if you're a humble, then you realize that there's no ceiling for you. There's nothing but improvement. There's nothing but growth. So if so if you're still growing, there's no time to beat your chest and say, I'm the man. Because you're a student forever, my bro. You're a student forever. So I love humility. And I learned that in the military that you know, you gotta stay humble, always be a student. And when you do that, it opens you up to always learn and become a better person. Um, the next thing, so E, that's enthusiasm, man. That's energy, bro. That's energy. That's that's being optimistic, cheerful, and a willingness to run towards adver- adversity. Like I love challenges. I love being sweaty, tired, hungry, sleepy, cold, hot, pain, because all that stuff produces what? Produce growth, brother. It pr- produces growth. So I run to that because I know that on the back end of it, man, I'm gonna get something I didn't even know I was gonna get. It's like it's like a cracker jack box with a prize in it. You just never know what you're gonna get. That's enthusiasm. That's your why. Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you show up to go to work? That fuel. When you wake up in the morning, you show up to work and you're smiling. You're like, whoa, I'm so happy to be here. That's enthusiasm. That's how I live my life, right? And then the, and then the second C is courage. You gotta have courage. You gotta have that that physical and and moral courage. The physical courage being able to perform your duties. In the face of danger, death, you know, injury, whatever, right? That stuff's happening and you still need to perform physically. And then morally, man, you got to like have the courage to do the right thing, right? Have the courage to do the right thing. You know, you know, courage is something that everybody battles with because no one wants to do the right thing. You know, you know, you can see a, a girl getting beat up by her man or vice versa these days. And women beat up men too, you know, on the side of the street and no one will stop and intervene. Yeah. No one would stop or, or, or say you see a, a little girl look like she's being kidnapped. And you're like, I think she's being kidnapped. I'm not really sure. Oh, maybe that's just her uncle. And she just don't want to go. At all. No, get out of the car and go see what the hell's going on for this girl gets kidnapped. And if she's not being kidnapped, then no problem. Right. But that's courage. People don't have courage these days. And without courage, there's no way I would have started my website. There's no way I would have worked with teams. There's no way I would have retired. There's no way I, I would have looked for the comfortable piece of comfort piece would just stay in the Marine Corps for 30 years until they kicked me out. Right. And then, of course, comes the last letter in check is K, knowledge. Be knowledgeable, seek knowledge. And when you get it, share it. What do you know? Who knows it and who needs to know it? Like, you know, those those are all the things that that, you know, you know, in business, a lot of people hoard their information. They don't want to share the information because they're afraid someone's going to take it, take their information and use it, whatever. Right. Right. And it's like, OK, well, I, I, I kind of get it. But then again, I'm like, I'm in the business of making people better. If I have something that you can use and it makes your business better, right on, man. Right on. Right on. And the other part about, about knowledge is that you need to always seek it. You know, whether if you don't like to read books, you don't have to read books. Watch, watch YouTube, man. Uh, listen to podcasts or whatever. Or, or listen, to some, listen to somebody tell a story. You know, call up a guy that you know that's done some great stuff or call up a woman that you know done some great stuff and say, hey, can I just call you on the phone and talk to you? That's like reading a book in some cases, but it's knowledge. Get it in your head, forever be fruitful, you know, and, and that's my checklist. And I, I share that with athletes and, and, and with coaches and with everybody I meet. And I said, that's what works for me. I go, if I sum up my life 
these are the five things that I truly, truly believe fuel me. If it fuels me every day, it keeps me on the path of where I want to be, which is, which is to reach my full potential. That's all I want. It's reach my full potential. And these five tenets, these five values will get me there. And it has gotten me so far to where I am. And I just, and I, and, and I have to have the discipline to practice this every single day. So, uh, that's what the checklist is. It's just, it's a checklist. And, and when I give it to athletes and coaches and, and teams, it's basically, you know, I always, always, always tell them, I said, if you ever feel like something's not working out, go through your checklist. Mm. And the reason why I came with a checklist, because in the Marine Corps, before we do everything, there's a checklist. Oh yeah. <laughs> before we go on patrol, there's a checklist. Before we go on a jump, there's a jump. There's a, there's a jump checklist. There's a dive checklist. There's a it's, checklist to make sure. It's funny you say that because the, the, the last guy I interviewed, my buddy Fritz, he was saying, he's like, you know, life in the military is, is just a series of checklists. And eventually, you know, you, you get to learn how to do everything on autopilot. Yeah, but that's what it, it's just reminders, man. And, and it's, it's, you know, the reason why we had checklists in the military, because there were just some things that were just too important to forget. Yeah. And I can remember being in Afghanistan in 2006 and, and, you know, we were going on patrol all the time, man. You know what it's like all the time. Like we'd go out for four days, come back, come back to the, to the fob for like three days, you know, repack, refresh, gen up another mission. And then we'd go back out for another four days. And, and no matter how many times we did that, which was, you know, clearly over 50 times on that deployment, I always did the same pre pre-mission checklist, pre-patrol checklist. I still went to every vehicle and accounted for everybody there and asked certain questions about certain things in the mission to random guys. Every single time I did that because I know those things are important. The other guys might not feel like it was important, but it was important to me. And it was my job as their leader to ensure that before we left that fob and to go out and, and give, give the Taliban the good news, <laughs> that, that that we had everything we needed. We had everything we needed and everything was in place to be successful. And that's what a checklist is for. It's not that you forget, but you just want to make sure that you know. That's good stuff, Bo. I got no segue for this next question, so I'm just going to come right out and ask. You, you've been spending, it, it looks like you've been spending a lot of time uh, around rugby players. Is oh, rugby yeah. gaining popularity in the U.S.? Finally, or what? Man, rugby is. You know, I wish I'd have. I wish I'd have. I wish I'd have been a part of rugby when I originally got a Marine Corps. Man, holy crap! That sport personifies what we call camaraderie, team chemistry. You know, like, like man, like it, it's so juiced up with these guys. These these big athletes, and when I say athletes, I mean, you're talking about guys that are, everybody's 200 and something pounds and everybody runs, everybody can kick, everybody can tackle, everybody, these guys are athletes, right? These guys, and you know, they do everything they do with no equipment. It's a very, very, uh, uh, it's a very, very uh, brutal, violent game in a, in the good sense you know I, I don't like to use those words in a negative way at all yeah i like brutal is good violence <laughs> is good you know when i talk about it i'm not talking about you know breaking someone's house but when i talk about the sport the violence of the sport i'm talking about how these guys are going and they're crashing into each other with with awesome preciseness you know uh and 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 surgical 
precision to make a tackle and, and what they do. And then on the back, so that's that side. And they're, they're big and, they're, and it's 80 minutes and there's no timeouts and there's, there's a timeout because someone hurt or whatever. And then there's the, there's the, the camaraderie. It is, it is beyond anything I've ever been around. I've been around a lot of different teams. I've been around almost every sport. And the camaraderie I've seen, there's always like little splinter cells within those teams where, you know, you have this group that's really, they're really in the middle or not. But rugby, it is completely every man or woman on the team is completely committed to, to the thing that they're going to do on the field. And they show it by touching each other. You know, every time, you know, there's no huddle per se, but when they get together to pass information, they all get together in a circle and they always have a hand on each other. And I've been able, and I've been blessed and fortunate to be in these circles with these rugby players and to feel that transference of care and love for your, for your brother, for the person to your left and to your right. I mean, I can feel it. I can truly feel it. And then when they talk, they talk in a way to where it's, it's like, I, I believe in you. I have confidence in you. Lean on me and let me lean on you. I mean, it's that's rugby. And do I think it's going to blow up in America? Hell yeah, because I'm going to help it do that. <laughs> good, good. I think it's 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 coming, man. It's coming, and I think it's refreshing. I think it's a good refreshing sport because what our sports are missing these days is that is that camaraderie, is that teammanship, uh, is all those things that rugby show. They show a toughness, uh, a toughness on it like no other. These guys and gals are. Or, you know, they're tackling, they're running, and they're tackling, they're getting up, you know. They, they're showing their athleticism by how many times they, they tackle and they pop right back to their feet. Where if you watch football, which I get it, you know, football, there's they're downs, guys tackle, and, and it takes, you know, like 30 seconds before that, that pile is up back on their feet. So um, it's just one of those things, man. No, I think rugby is going to be the bomb. It is the bomb. It's great. I want everybody to watch. I work with the San Diego Legion, which is the pro team out of San Diego. And they are currently number one in the uh, Major League Rugby League. Uh, these men have – I've had an opportunity to do some training with them. Um, I've even taught them how to use knives, you know. And, you know, just to get into their mindset a little bit about, you know, how, how important it is to focus and take care of each other. And these guys take it seriously, man. They take it so seriously. Uh, I was telling the story about keeping your gun up in combat. And now they use that term all the time, guns up, guns up. They see me a text just out of the blue, guns up, Bo. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. So these, so they really feed into it. They love it. They appreciate everything, and they like to drink beer after the match. So that's big thumbs yeah. up with me. I, I didn't even know this is the first time hearing that we uh, had Major League Rugby back in the U.S. Uh, I, I got some buddies in the Marine Corps who who played on the Marine Corps team, and uh, I think the Brits were just over in Quantico or something, and they they all got together and was playing some rugby. But yeah, I had to ask that because I I, I know you've been spending a lot of time on the on the pitch. Yeah, on the pitch, man, and learn, learning all the lingo. And, you know, and it's an international team. You know, you got, you know, on the San Diego team, you got guys from South Africa, from Australia, from Fiji, from Tonga, from Samoa, from Hawaii, uh, from England, uh, from Scotland, uh, U.S. Uh, I don't want to miss anybody. I don't want to miss anybody. Um, if I did, I'll probably hear about it. But, uh, but it's such a, a, mixed, a mixed team, man, and you got all these different personalities but they all love each other, man. I mean, we worship together. We fellowship together. I mean, it's, it's great. I think rugby, rugby is great. Rugby's going to be so good for, for, the, for the young American kid coming up in sports. It's going to give them another opportunity, and I hope the parents really see it for what it is and not, not uh, be scared by the, 
the physical, you know, contact of the game, which is uh, which is really good for our our young men and for our women that like to do that. I mean, it's great, you know. Parents, you know, just enjoy it. Let the kids be kids. Let them go out and hit something every now and then. Well, we, we've been talking for a while, and I haven't seen you take a sip of water or coffee or anything yet. So, uh, and I, I know you're down there <laughs> visiting with friends. So, uh, I want to thank you for your time, man. This has been great. Um, some of the stuff that you said on mindset was great, and I know we were talking about sports, but when I was listening to you talk, I'm like, this is stuff that anybody can use, and yeah. uh, you know, it's really great. So, I'm just going to go ahead and and do a plug for you real quick. So, you had mentioned the Recon Foundation? Is that yes, the- Marine Recon Foundation. Okay, Marine Recon Foundation. I'll put a link up to that. Um, and actually, actually, I should refrain that. It's the Marine Reconnaissance Foundation. Marine Reconnaissance Foundation. So I guess it, it's something people can donate to, or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just go to the website, Marine Reconnaissance Foundation. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. Uh, and we, and you just, you know, anywhere you go, you'll see a donate button, you donate and what you donate goes to, to events that we're putting on or, uh, for our gold star families or for families of, of, of Marines and sailors that have, you know, lost that, that Marine sailor and they might need some help, you know, financial help, uh, scholarships, you know, whatnot, but we just want to take care of our families, take care of our brothers and take care of our sisters that have died in combat. And we want to make sure the families always know that, that, that they are remembered and they are part of our family and will always be part of the marine reconnaissance family so um so donations really help with uh with with doing like another retreat next year and actually we're trying to do two retreats next year so we can double up the amount of family we can actually bring out to success this year it was the first time but yeah the marine reconnaissance foundation please donate help us out um help us take care of our recon families all right so if you if you're listening and, and you like what you heard, go check out Bo's website, Standard Elite. I'll put that up there as well, and you can read over it. And, you know, maybe uh, if you're an athlete, maybe one of my international Instagram followers might uh, hit you up and, and bring you over to Pond. Oh, let's do it. And, and I should have told Romania, you, correct? I should have told, yeah, I am right now. I'm going to be moving in, uh, in July. Well, but I'll tell yeah. you about that when it happens. <laughs> All and right. and I'm, I meant to tell you this in the beginning, but I totally forgot. So this is episode number five. It's, it's a big day for the show. All right. It's a milestone. So uh, I'm, nice. I'm past the number five hump. So once we get to 10, maybe, maybe uh, we'll, we'll see how we can step it up. But hey, uh, hey, that's beautiful. That's number five. Just, just, I want you to, I want you to remember number one. Oh, I got it. I want you to remember number two. <laughs> and I want you to remember where you are right now. Brother, keep on doing. It. I love it. I love what you're doing, Seamus. I really do. Thanks, Bo. As, as always, I appreciate the words. Enjoy your time down in uh, South Carolina, man. It was great talking yeah. again. You know, yeah, you too. Can't let so much time go by next time. I guess. No, we won't. As a matter of fact, uh, um, make sure I got your phone. Make sure I have your phone number. Uh, you, uh, send it to me. Um, well, we talk on Facebook, but I need your phone number so okay. I can just give you a quick ring or text message. And pops and, and you know ask some questions about and ask some questions for you. I'm sure there's some things that you can that you you've experienced and you've seen over over the years that can help me out as I continue to do what I need to do as well. So um, I yeah, want to be connected to you. I want you in my circle, in my tight, 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 small circle. Um, only have enough room for probably maybe like ten more elite individuals. <laughs> so um, I want you to be one of them, brother. All right, brother. I appreciate it.
Well, you take care. All Thanks right, man. again. You too. You too. Thank you. Uh, bye. Love you.